This is TREPWIRE Week in Review for week ending December 10th. I'm Martha Kocher with TREP, a data modeling and analytics firm for the CMBS Commercial Real Estate and CLO Markets. I'm with Manis Clancy, Senior Managing Director, and Joe McBride, Head of Siri Finance. This week, inbound U.S. travelers are subject to stricter requirements, and New York City launched a vaccine mandate for all private employers. But markets responded positively to news that Pfizer's booster is effective against Omicron. In economic data, jobless claims fell last week, reaching a 52-year low, but all eyes are now turned to the inflation numbers expected tomorrow. Manus, those numbers may become additional rationale for the Fed moving a little bit more quickly on the taper. That certainly could be the case, although I would say for the last month or two, we've seen a little bit of leveling off of those numbers, right? They're not exploding like they were six months ago or so forth. We've seen a leveling off of or even a, a dip in oil prices, so we can keep our fingers crossed that that ends up being what we see on Friday morning. The last 10 days have really been about nothing more than Omicron, right? When we're worried about it, market sells off. When we feel like either it's going to be mild or that it's going to be treatable by some of the therapeutics that are out there or the vaccines, then the market melts up and it really has melted up several days this week. And we can only be so lucky to have that be the case. You know, I, I think we're watching it very closely, but it's going to take time to play out. And in the meantime, there'll probably be more uh, fits and starts to the markets as headline risk comes and goes with regard to Omicron. We'll see. Let me put on my epidemiologist hat here and just say that everything we've seen, all the uh, Wall Street research and all the data that I've been (laughs) very rigorously following on Twitter is that this thing is not severe, right? And I think there was uh, in London or in the UK, none of the cases led to hospitalizations uh, or something like that. I don't know. Don't quote me. but, But anyway, I think that I'll I'll take the same stance as I took last week after you guys mentioned the Omni or the Ami, that to me, the biggest fear is the Federal Reserve tapping the brakes. But I do think that, you know, we don't have, who was the guy? Was it Volcker? Right. Paul Volcker back. It was Volcker who early eighties. Yeah. Who had to inflation. Yeah. Who had to break the back of inflation. I don't think we're ever going to have another Volcker. I think the, the Fed has become too politicized and, they are worried about the S&P 500 as much as they're worried about their dual mandate. So I think we're, we'll be okay for a while. Well, let it be that we never need another Paul Volcker because you know his fight against inflation came because inflation was running between 10 and 20%. We saw treasury bonds yield as much as 21%, if I'm not mistaken. We saw mortgage rates in the high teens. Uh, all of that just decimated uh, valuations, right, for a period of time. And and uh, like I said, fingers crossed that we should never need a, a man like Paul Volcker again, that I'd rather be wrong and see it be transitory than be right and see it be long-term and bury valuations and the, you know, the the nest egg that people have have built up in their homes and so forth. So that's what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. You know, the one piece of negative news I saw this week, and Martha alluded to it before, she talked about businesses in New York now mandating the vaccine for all private employers right now. And that may be a short-term thing because the man who mandated it was Bill de Blasio, whose term is up 
in, in just a couple of weeks, and, and he'll be replaced by new mayor Eric Adams. But the thing that really caught my attention was that vaccine mandate for five to 11 year olds to take advantage of any amenities in New York. And by amenities, I would mean school, in addition to going to restaurants and ball games and other things. And that's the kind of thing if, if we get back to that point, because we think the virus is spreading and people start to panic and so forth. You know, I, I think that a 45 year old man or a 55 year old man or woman, you know, is willing to put themselves at risk and take the vaccine without full testing going on um, in advance of full testing. I don't think people are going to do that for their seven year old second grader. That's my instinct. I wouldn't do it if I had a second grader. I don't anymore. But if de Blasio's idea spreads around the rest of the country, like and, and panic sets in, then what you have again is teachers saying, well, we're not going back to school. And then you have parents with childcare issues. And then all of a sudden it's sand in the gears of the economy. And that's that's the last thing we need. Turning first to hotels, the hospitality transaction market has been busy this past week. And those transactions are going to provide us a little bit of insight into post-COVID valuations. It really, really has been on fire. We've talked a couple weeks in a row about the hotel market. We talked about delinquencies falling. We put out a piece to Trepwire seven or eight days ago, I think, which talked about all of the various cures that took place, the loans that were delinquent, in many cases, 90 plus delinquent that went current in November. We put out a blog piece. If you're not on our blog distribution list, let Haley know, and we'll make sure that you get it and we'll add you to the distribution list. But it rattled off you know, six or eight hotel loans that had balances of at least 30 million. Some went up to as much as 100 million that cured in November. That was kind of the first inkling for us that things had really, really turned the corner. This week, just a, just a boatload of, of sales, again, in a really widely distributed uh, swath of the market. I'll run through some of them very quickly, and Joe can probably jump in where I, where I missed some. The big one for me, and this came from Hotel Business, was that Sunstone Investors sold the Embassy Suites La Jolla which even though its name says La Jolla, it's technically in San Diego. The thing that blew my mind was that it traded at a 4% cap rate off 2019 cash flow. So for months, quite a while ago, we said that distress in hotels wasn't going to be and, and wasn't turning out to be what we thought it might be, right? This idea of getting hotels for 60 cents on the dollar never really materialized. If you were lucky, maybe you got one for 90 cents on the dollar or 85. But when you see this particular comparable, a 4% cap rate uh, on this particular hotel off 2019 cash flow, it, it just blows my, blows my mind. So give a few more details on that particular hotel. It collateralizes a $60 million CMBS loan that makes up about 4% of a 2015 deal. The transaction represented about 670,000 per key, 4% cap rate, as I've said three or four times now, off 2019 NOI, uh, a 22X multiple on adjusted EBITDA from that same year, uh, sales price of almost 230 million. And so looking into what you're buying, if you bought this hotel, for the 12 months ending in August of 2021, DSCR was still only 0.57X, occupancy 53%. So 
in a sense, it's almost like you're buying pro forma, right? You're paying 4% cap for something that is a 0.57x DSCR. And if that isn't healthy exuberance for that market, I don't know what is. So what was Manus? Do you have it in front of you? What was the NOI difference between 19 and 21? Uh, I will pull that up, Joe. I don't have it in front of me, but if you were to say what the cap rate was on the 2021 income, it must have been like 1% or 2% or something. I would think so, because you have to think that that DSCR in 2019 was probably one and a half to two. Yeah. So let me see if I could find this particular one uh, while we're talking. While I'm looking for that, I'll throw a couple of other numbers at you. Other sales here in Santa Barbara, the Santa Barbara Hotel, a 75-room property in downtown of that city. 560000 per key in Raleigh near NC State, home of the Tar Heels, a property there sold for two hundred twenty k per key. It's a 190-key college town hotel. Two hotels near the San Jose International Airport sold in a deal that totaled $90 million. It's a Hyatt place was one of them and a Hyatt house. They're next to each other. $250,000 per key. This one also got my attention because... You know, airport hotels, just like other business-oriented areas, really slammed, right, in the last couple of years in, in terms of occupancy. Here you have people dipping their toe into those numbers. And then one last number out there, the Kimpton Hotel Monaco, Chicago, is selling for $36 million. This is a 191-room hotel on Wabash Avenue, 191000 per key. So the last two examples... We gave you, again, unloved parts of the market, one in Chicago, two hotels in the San Jose airport area, getting bids and, you know, again, betting on the recovery. Yeah. So, I mean, this La Jolla deal, I just pulled it up here too. In 19, the NOI was nine and a half million. Uh, in 20, it was 930,000, right? So it's, you know, essentially zero for 2020, but in 21... I guess through August, the trailing 12 months to August was around 2.7 million. So that's a clear bet on the recovery because if you're saying that the nine and a half is a 4% cap rate, then what's the 2.5, like a 1% cap rate essentially. Um, Right. So So they're clearly valuing it based on the the idea that this thing is really humming and and revving back and pre pre COVID occupancies for the trailing several years were in the high 80s. So I guess they're probably uh, banking on getting back up in that range. Right. So to put some scale around Joe's numbers, from 19 to 20, we saw a uh, 90% drop in NOI. And for the trailing 12 months in August, ending in August, uh, that has rebounded by 4x from that trough. But you're still only at about I don't know, 28, 30% of where you were in 2019, right? Yeah, in that range. So a lot of good news in hotels. And, you know, I'll throw one more hotel headline out this week, which has nothing to do with commercial real estate whatsoever, but we do like to keep it light here. It was the 45th anniversary this week of Hotel California. You can never check out. Wow. Living it up. There we go. <laughs> I've never seen the Eagles, but I would have. Uh, if given the opportunity, they were amazing. the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you were an evil's aficionado, Martha. How could, how could I not be? 
living in the fast lane. I could see you, Martha, you know, with the, the big spiky hair and the, and the uh, rock and roll t-shirt back in the 80s, 70s, I guess. Not quite. <laughs> Turning to office, U.S. office occupancy rebounded last week. I want to be kind of caveating that. It's, it's, a, it's a rebound after Thanksgiving when obviously a lot of people aren't at work. So there's that. The, the occupancy number's at about 40.6% across 10 cities. The cities, not surprising, that are at the top are Austin and Houston at about 59, 55% approximately. The ones at the bottom, no surprise, New York, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco at a low 28%. So people are coming back week over week. It's only about a two point difference, but we know all the factors that are holding that number down. Yeah. I, I think that piece underscored, there's that, that drinking game word again, for those people in Wisconsin and, and UNC, what we had predicted all along, the travel destination, warmer locations, fewer restrictions, drive to beaches, drive to uh, amusement parks and, and so forth. We're going to outperform and business was going to lag. And that certainly has been the case. And, and I think that while some business areas will start to come back, you know, we had some guys out in a conference in California this week. ABS East was taking place this week as well. Next week, there'll be one in Miami. I think that San Francisco and New York and Chicago will continue to disappoint to the downside. I think that these headlines about crime, the headlines about heavy-handed mandates in some cases, like we talked about momentarily uh, a few moments ago with, um, you know, the lockdowns and the, and the vaccinations of kids. Um, you know, I, I just think that people by and large will say, you know what, let's, let's opt for something that's warmer, easier, and more accommodating. So I, I hope that's not the case, but at the moment, that seems to be what we're dealing with. So quick grammar lesson for all of you out there. Grammar lesson of the week the one that really grinds my gears is momentarily because it's actually, what it really means is for a moment, moment. not in a moment. A lot of people say, I'll be, I'll get back to you momentarily, but it's no, it's like the plane shook momentarily, right? That's, that's our grammar lesson of the week. But anyway, we had Lonnie, our friend Lonnie in the office this week, which was really good. And he went to an event at One Vanderbilt, which is, you know, the big giant brand new SL Green, super, no pun intended, super green lead ESG building. He went through their, uh, I guess, observation deck. I'm not sure what they call it, but, you know, the place where you can go and see all of the city. And he was just blown away by that building and, you know, all the amenities and everything that was in it and everything else. And I just kind of reiterated in my mind that that building is going to be fine, right? And I think that most office type work will continue to happen or well, the companies will continue to have office space. But if you've budgeted, whatever, a couple million bucks per year for office space, when your lease comes due, if you're going to think about probably going hybrid, and reducing your space by 25 or 50%. If you do that, you probably won't reduce your spend by 25 or 50%. You'll probably only reduce it by 10 or 20. So you can pay up 
for the smaller space. So you're going to want the most class A, awesome office space. So I think it's going to be the rich get richer, you know, continued. And if I was looking for potential distress in the future, I would be doing a lot of searches for those 1950s, unrenovated, you know, second and third Ave type buildings with maturities coming up uh, in the next year or two, right? I agree with that, right? That there's parts of New York that are unloved, either because, you know, they're a little bit further away from Grand Central or from the Port Authority or from Penn Station. They're older stock. They haven't re been refurbished in a long time. And they don't have the types of amenities that appeal to a Facebook or a Google or maybe an investment bank or something like that. So I certainly think there'll be winners and losers out of this. You're absolutely right, Joe. And and before we got on this call, we we talked about this and Joe and I both agreed that the tail will be long, right? Because it will only manifest itself once these leases come to, to your point, Joe, a few minutes ago or momentarily ago, which did I use that right? That time? <laughs> well, well, I guess mm, no. one thing about um, Lonnie's trip to one Vanderbilt, you know, he went to the whole immersive experience and stuff and there was mirrors on the ceiling, pink champagne on ice. There you go. He said, we're he all just prisoners here of our Absolutely. own device. He had to do it. Uh, Joe, two weeks in a row. Coming the lyrics the, are back. The, uh, the musical reference and the, and the quotation there. Uh, before long, we're going to ask you to start humming them whenever you bring them out, right? You, it's not going to be a readable thing. We're going to ask you to like uh, chant it out. Trying to find the passage back to the place I was before. <laughs> <laughs> Make him stop, please. <laughs> Are we going to have to pay a royalty for that? Do we have that in the budget for 2022? You definitely don't. You know, I was hoping to get in the budget. I don't know if you guys did this, but we were going to have those, you know, tripwire Christmas ornaments. You know, nothing says Christmas like, you know, hanging that tripwire Christmas ornament near the top <laughs> by the star, you know, that, you know, did we get that approved by the uh, We did. It's, it's actually one of those metallic ornaments that's a picture of the four of us on a Zoom. <laughs> there you go order yours there are about now. three or four people out there that'd be interested in that yeah That's exactly right. our parents just, <laughs> yeah we can't uh get them before they're gone uh, a couple of other stories this one was a great one here we were talking about new york office and this one uh i have to give credit to my colleague darren king in our new york office who really dug into this particular sale it's a great benchmark for Midtown Manhattan landlords and lenders. The story comes from Commercial Observer. Innovo Property Group has acquired 452 Fifth Avenue in Midtown for $855 million. We always look for deals like this um, because they give you a sense of how things should be valued in a very big market. In this particular case, it's an 860,000 square foot tower. The transaction price represented almost $1,000 a square foot, uh, $990 per square foot to be precise. Uh, In-place base rents are approximately $81 a square foot. Top tenant, as you would expect, HSBC, because that property is also known as the HSBC Tower. The sales price reflects a 5.25% cap rate based on trailing 12 months NOI for the period ending in June 2021. The price, the sales price, 36% above the 2012 appraisal. There is an existing loan on this that matures next year. Uh, the LTV on that loan is now 33. So that particular asset, you know, you would call that 
as close to risk-free uh, as you can imagine. Uh, but it does give a, a sense of what trophy, well-leased Midtown Manhattan offices should be valued at. Yeah, and the appraised value from 2012 was 630 million, right? This is based on the, so what does that represent over? Uh, 36% over eight or nine eight years. years. Yeah. Okay. But you had some comps, Joe, that you were looking at some comps this week for other Midtown Manhattan offices. You thought that, you know, for me, what I heard of this, when I heard $1,000 a square foot, I thought that was pretty lofty. But you were saying that some other major, you know, New York offices were valued above that already. And if they're only valued at $1,000 a square foot now, that represents a reduction in, you know, 2016 and 2018 valuations. Yeah. So I, when I saw this, I said, let me just do some really incredibly simple back of the envelope math here. And I did a quick search for uh, office loans maturing in the next year and a half in Manhattan, but more kind of in the Midtown area, Midtown East, Midtown, what's the middle, middle, mid, mid, Midtown. And the couple that popped up to me were a few on Park Avenue. Uh, one was 280 Park and the other one was 375. 280 Park, you know, and again, you know, a broker may call us out and say this, they're totally different. They have different tenants and all that type of stuff. And that, that may all be true. But just again, back of the envelope type stuff here, 280 Park, you know, if you were to apply that close to $1,000, I mean, 989 or 990 per square foot, you would have a, a value significantly lower than where it was appraised in 2017. And same for uh, 375 Park, the New York Times building would fall into that category as well. The value drops on a cap rate basis based on updated NOIs would have similarly large drops in value. The New York Times building would not, however. So, you know, I don't like calling out specific properties because every property is very different, but I know 280 Park has had its problems in the past uh, in prior iterations of loans. Right now it's in a single asset, single borrower deal, had extended or exercised its extension options twice already. And it, I think it just exercised its third extension option recently. Uh, so no real reason to worry. I'm just kind of, when we see these types of comps uh, happen in the market, these transactions happen, it's, I like to just see how does that compare to uh, where we were pre-COVID. And there's a bunch of other properties here where they compare very favorably to uh, some of their older appraised values. But uh, again, you're kind of hunting and pecking for these types of things when you're in, in the market like this. Well, whether it's this particular property or that Sunstone property that we talked about before that La Jolla asset, what you're getting out of this is really a benchmark. That's what you're hoping for as a property owner, as somebody who's trying to size up what to pay for an asset. You know, that's the big the question here, um, going back to those 280 and 375 parks, when you look at 280 park, the good thing about that is, you know, not a ton of near term big lease expirations coming due. So that's not a, you know, something that I'd be terribly concerned about. DSCR has been really strong for the last 18 months. 375 park though, did lose Wells Fargo not too long ago. And, and occupancy there went from the mid nineties down to 67%. So that's a, uh, you know, as you said, Joe, all real estate is local and every property has a different story behind it. And accordingly, it's it's really avenue by avenue. Yeah. So before, Madness, you go into the rest of your stories, I will say, I just caught something in the Wall Street Journal today. Conrad 
and Peter Grant, who we often talk to, uh, they cover the real estate beat for Wall Street Journal, among other things. They had a story on a new uh, short player who is shorting the Empire State Realty Trust. And he had been shorting uh, Vornado and SL Green, but it's I think the story said they had gotten out of those shorts. I think those those stocks had rebounded. But it just goes back to your point, Manis, of if you could if you could search property by property, you'd probably be able to make some money shorting specific office buildings at, for specific periods of time. But there is no kind of instrument to do that at this point. And if you wanted to do it via CMBX or some other an office REIT, that's going to be a little tougher, right? Because the the hits are going to come slowly and over a long period of time. So interesting to see that one there. And our friend Dan McNamara, who's the go-to quote for uh, for real estate shorts out there, he got the he had a, a little nod in that article as well. Yeah, I think if you're shorting offices right now, you run the risk of being Arden Hill in 2017. They were the firm that first jumped into the retail short of CMBX 6, and they ended up pulling the plug on that three years later because they had been paying premiums, 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 and were not seeing any distress. They got out of it, unfortunately. Um, well, fortunately and unfortunately, we all wish COVID never happened to begin with, but had they hung in there another six months, they would have done fine on their trade, you know, but there was insurance fatigue, right? Paying the carry fatigue. And I think that if you're going to short office bluntly by picking a CMBX series with heavy office exposure, you're going to be paying that freight for a long time before you see any kind of movement in terms of real distress. So that's my two cents. And uh, But of, of course, consult your CMBX advisor before making any business decisions. <laughs> if you look at a, an office REIT, um, you can do all the math you want. In your, in your fundamental analysis and your kind of NAV analysis, but the REIT themselves is not, you know, they can mark that to market as they see fit kind of, or not mark to market. And as long as they're not selling and hold, they're kind of holding at historical cost, you know, you're not going to really see that flow through the financials and other things uh, until they actually sell, right? Or if, you know, you'd have to hope that a lot of investors are kind of seeing through things and start selling off the shares. When they're paying dividend yields that are decently better than zero in a zero interest rate environment, those stocks continue to stay bid up. If we haven't thrown enough cold water on the idea of shorting office in the near term or looking to make a lot of money off it in the near term, these next four or five stories might do that because there's a lot of green shoots in there. I'll run through them quickly. Bloomberg took about 200,000 square feet at 919 Third Avenue. That's an SL Green building. Uh, why does that matter to me? Well, Third Avenue is kind of one of those unloved parts of Manhattan. It's not Hudson Yards. It's not Chelsea. It's not a big tech draw. Um, part of the reason Bloomberg probably took the space is it's not, it's not far from their headquarters. But again, the fact that Bloomberg is expanding at all is, is great you know, for that part of the market, 200,000 square feet. Um, we talked about Sunnyvale last week. We noted that Facebook had taken a big chunk of space there, over 700,000 square feet in that market. They took that from Tishman Spire. We mentioned that a week ago. This week, LinkedIn bought some properties and leased others in Sunnyvale as that market just continues to just melt higher. 
LinkedIn paid 122 million for two research office buildings uh, on Maud Avenue in Sunningvale. The sellers were Harvest Properties and Invesco Advisors. They co-owned the assets separately. They leased at another location uh, another 200,000 square feet. So that market just remains just crazy on fire. Uh, while we're talking about Facebook, um, Facebook also took 215,000 square feet in Bellevue, Washington. So if you felt like there was any tapering off of tech demand for office space, this should kind of put that notion to bed. Lastly, Riot Games took another 200,000 square feet of space in Los Angeles on Olympic Boulevard. Joe can probably talk about this much better than I can. They make this thing called League of Legends video game. You know, Joe, I don't know. Is that one of those really violent ones or do you steal cars or, you know, do you shoot people? What do you what I think do you, you mistake game? me for like an, eight, an 18 year old? If it's Super Mario and Super Nintendo NES, like I'm all about it. But League of Legends, I don't know. I've seen videos on online or something of, of the people. But we, I, we established last week, you're buying Bitcoin out of ATMs and you use those wireless I thought that uh, the thing that always amazes me is that sometimes you see these, you know, professional gamers, the, how fast they can click that mouse. It's like unbelievable. It's like, it's like a whole new skill. It just reminds me of some guys I knew in college that back then, you know, to date myself, the closest thing you had to something like that was a digital stopwatch, <laughs> right? And they would spend hours on end trying to stop the stopwatch at 15.0000. Like they might sit there, these four guys for four hours, trying to get it right on 15.0000, how we've evolved. What about the, the start list? stop? Like how, how quick you can start stop it? Oh my God. I remember uh, that game. <laughs> uh, we did have one... Negative story. Again, this was something that was dug up by our own Darren King, who's always on the hunt for interesting stuff. This was about 135 South LaSalle in Chicago. We started following the story as far back as 2017. We had warned CMBS investors that Bank of America was looking to move on from that property. They had 800,000 square feet at that property, 60% of the building's NRA. Uh, the property backs a $100 million CMBS loan. That move ended up taking place. Uh, B of A left. The property now has a big hole to fill. But why this caught our attention or why this caught Darren's attention this week, Crane's Chicago business wrote two stories. The first one indicated that Amtrust had recently revealed plans to invest $100 million into the market, which included 135 South LaSalle. So Big sigh of relief when that first story came out that Amtrust is, is going to kind of refresh this thing, get a new tenant, um, build it back up. That story was later amended with Amtrust walking it back and saying that they were not planning to use any of that $100 million on refreshing 135 South LaSalle. In the Crane story, somebody was quoted out, quoted as saying they think a loan default is likely and that the deed will come back to the CMBS lenders through deed in lieu. And while Amtrust is not saying that yet, what they're saying officially is, you know, they're engaging the lender to focus on a restructuring. This is something that CMBS investors and, and, and watchers of that Chicago market will want to keep an eye on. This could be one of those stories that Joe kind of alluded to that 
you know, in very, very narrow terms, distress pops up here and there. And, and without B of A in that property, DSCR would fall to 0.30x. So uh, something we'll keep watching in the coming weeks, probably months. Just seems life. like one of those stories where, I mean, it goes to show you the, L, the loan to value, right? At securitization here in your story, it was 30%. And they're still walking away from the asset, right? So the, the value loss plus the amount of money and time and effort it would take to retenant up the space and get it back to kind of stable is greater than what these guys are willing to invest, right? Even though there was 70% equity cushion at the beginning of this thing. Yeah, I mean, pulling it all together, some of the stories we've talked about today in Chicago for the last several years, you know, in that, uh, that river market area, they've been putting up buildings that are kind of like that, say the SL Green one, uh, one Vanderbilt, right? Really attractive stuff, which is pulling people away from the legacy stuff, something that you kind of alluded to, Joe, before that people want to be in that, that fresher space. Chicago itself is probably overbuilt at this point. And with that LaSalle building, you're talking about dated space. A lot of money has to go into it. It's not easy finding, you know, tenants with six or 800,000 square feet of need. And, and it's a big lift. And so, you know, you will see this here and there, whether it's in New York or uh, San Francisco or other big cities, Washington, D.C., as some of the older stock, you know, gets turned over over time. I'm not expecting a wave of this, but it will be episodic. I guess the last one we'll throw in there again, looking for a mark, as it were, uh, and this would be in that high-end new building category back in New York. Uh, this is according to a Bloomberg article I uh, just saw today. Brookfield, I think Donut Shorts tipped me off to this one, my friend Donut Shorts. Uh, Brookfield Asset Management is exploring the sale of a stake in one Manhattan West, which is one of those Hudson Yards uh, towers that's been built in the last few years. Cushman Wakefield is working for Brookfield on the deal. They're soliciting interest from bidders in a share of the property that would value it at about 2.8 billion. Brookfield had borrowed 1.8 billion on this uh, in the not too distant past. So, you know, we'll look to see if that comes to fruition and it'll give us, we have a mark on the HSBC building, which is in an older property, although it's been, I know it's been renovated the last 20 or 30 years. It's not, it's not, you know, 50s stock, but now we'll have a mark on, you know, brand new, brand new stuff here, although in a slightly different submarket in Manhattan, all the way over in Hudson Yards. And then turning to retail, we have a story that's a green shoot. So Manus, who's always looking for the positive, is going to end with that one. Yeah, it's, um, I do like the positive. I like stories that talk about redemption. I'm always watching the Hallmark Network. You know, that's my go-to uh, choice for heartwarming stories. They're so unpredictable. You're never sure where that that little twist in the last 15 minutes is going to come from. You never know exactly when they're going to bake cookies and decorate the Christmas tree and kiss when the snow is falling. You never know. Did I mention we have uh, trip wire ornaments? <laughs> Back to that. Here we go. The, the retail story. I love this one. Uh, a big 2012 mall loan paid off last month. We had been talking endlessly for 18 months, probably every other podcast, we talk about mall debt. Uh, so much of it was written in 2012 and 2013, everybody predicting the apocalypse, things being handed back in bulk, losses that 
uh, you know, would be eye popping. For the most part, we haven't seen that. We've seen some giving back of properties, but I wouldn't call it a deluge. Um, we see a lot of loans in purgatory, which means that they're neither defaulted upon nor modified. They just kind of extend it month after month. We have seen some bonafide extensions, which has been great. We haven't seen a lot of this, and I'm, I'm happy to hear this, see this one. The $106 million Meadow Mall, which made up a very sizable part of a Goldman Sachs deal from 2012, paid off in full on its maturity date. The collateral contained about 400,000 square feet in Reno, Nevada. It was an enclosed mall. The loan was slated to mature in November, and it did pay off uh, as anticipated. What got my attention was as recently as October, the borrower was saying that they thought they would need more time, that they could use another 30, 60, 90 days to try to get this over the finish line. And in the past, when we've seen notes like this in watch list comments, frequently that turns into uh, our financing fell through or we couldn't find financing and this thing goes into purgatory. In this particular case, the loan paid off. Uh, in 2020, occupancy was 88% but that rebounded to 94% for H1 2021. Uh, DSCR was pretty consistent, 1.65X in 2020, 1.63X in H1 2021. So a good retail uh, green shoot to end this segment. I don't know if it's going to be in your shout outs, Martha, but Haley C., our colleague, got a shout out from one of our loyal listeners who sent us the first ever TikTok video link uh, sent to us by a listener. So look at us, right? League of Legends, Meta, Bitcoin, and now TikTok. And it was a video of, I guess, some woman or girl that went to, I think it was the Sarasota Mall. Sarasota Mall. Sarasota Mall. And I mean, it's vacant. I, I shouldn't laugh, but it is vacant except for maybe like one or two stores. And she was walking around this totally empty, nobody there mall and doing echo sounds. And it was it was relatively eerie. And good on, I think it was uh, Rachel, Rachel yes, from Colorado. Rachel I. And good on Rachel because it was right. It was uh, the Sarasota Mall, which actually took a loss, I think about two months ago from a CMBS loan. So sorry to sorry to uh, rain on your parade, Manis, after a positive retail story. Trep released a report looking at appraisal values, and we've talked about that throughout much of this podcast, the team did a little bit of analysis looking at a segment of reappraisals that were done. And we had some interesting takeaways. So we've done this, we've done this quick look uh, on the pod over the last year or two, every six months or so, we'll check in on reappraisals. In CMBS, loans only get reappraised when things are going wrong. Usually this, when the loan goes to special servicing and special servicer will order a new appraisal. So this is a, you know, a negative selection bias here, but it's still good to see for those properties that are having some issues, what is the magnitude of the value loss? And uh, just looking at the high level numbers here, you'll have to go to trep.com or subscribe to Trep Talk, uh, which is our blog to see the teaser here. But yeah, so when looking at uh, the drop in values, just a few highlights here, retail, this, these are reappraisals done in 2021, um, so not even the ones done in 2020, which were, I think, pretty hairy. Uh, but even still, retail, on average, down about 44%. Across all property types, the average drop was about 34%. Uh, lodging was actually only 26%. 
So that's a positive, I guess, uh, in a sea of negative there. You'll have to check out the piece to see all the rest of the stats that our colleague Jack put together. It's a slightly worse number than what we saw last time we looked. I believe in aggregate, the revaluations were 29% lower last time we looked, six or eight months ago. So the 34% number shows a little bit of degradation. Uh, but to your point, Joe, I think the hotel market uh, holding up better than people ever would have imagined a year ago. So some quick shout outs, Jake C, who is a proponent of the Poolside podcast. So thank you, Jake. He also had uh, some other comments about the MBA reporting that we talked about. Kurt A sent some feedback and he had a question about default statistics corresponding with each CMBS loan type. Yeah, Kurt, who is a semi-regular podcast responder, uh, sent sent a nice note. And he was asking, because we went over the delinquency report last week, he was asking about the difference between single asset, single borrower, CRE, CLO, and conduit delinquency rates. And it was a good question because the single asset, single borrower, and the CLO delinquency rates are essentially zero. Uh, so they just add a lot of balance to the denominator, but they don't add almost any balance to the numerator. So doing a quick look, I think the delinquency rate in November was 4.8, I think. 4.38. 4.38. But if I look at just conduit, and these are my numbers, which Manus, uses, Manus may use a slightly different universe when he's doing his numbers, but it's about 5.6, between 5.5 and 5.6, if you just look at conduit loans. And uh, Kurt's point was that maybe conduits are a better proxy for that kind of middle market, middle of the road type property, as opposed to the SASB stuff, which is huge malls, huge office buildings, big industrial portfolios, that type of stuff. Often under levered too. Right. that SASB stuff. Often it's not unusual to see 50 LTVs, 40 LTVs on big, uh, at least to the senior loan, right? Sometimes right. these guys will have MES loan and B notes and so forth, but uh, they tend not to be very highly levered. And it's been a long time since we've seen a real big, big SASB-like loan go south, right? We saw some, some issues where SASB-sized loans, at least, blew up in 2008 and 2009. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And a couple other shout-outs. Black Eagle loved your Cure lyrics, Joe. BB Dogged had some comments about our work-from-home Lamenting the commute, as we all do, and Simon H., who mentioned that he listened to five back-to-back -back pods while driving with his wife. I'm sorry for your wife. It's a modern-day form of uh, torture. So I don't know if you guys were watching this week, but RH, formerly known as Restoration Hardware, that's a store, by the way, Joe, that you go in into the mall, you kind of sit on their couches, they're kind of fancy-dancy, hmm. nice furniture, housewares. They have growth plans that include a 500-page source book, which I think is a catalog. I don't know. And well, I was going to say, I think like I'd rather just buy my furniture at Bob's and just then can I get the catalog to put on my coffee table? Because then it just makes it all look super fancy and better, wealthy, nicer, right? Better, nicer. <laughs> well, but they've added other things that are experiential. They've got guest houses, restaurants, RH1 and 2, which are private planes, and RH3, which is a luxury yacht for charter. So if you guys are trying to come up with ideas, I say put it on my list, Santa baby. Well, while we're on the idea of torture, 
you know, I think one way to, you know, get to your kids, Joe, would be telling them that that's the the thing to pick the gifts from this year, that that furniture uh, catalog instead of, you know, the old Toys R Us type thing. No, Ouch. no. Your, right your wife might like it, though. Right now, it's dad, Batman motorcycle, Batman motorcycle. So that's what I'm getting. Nice. That's much cheaper. With that, we'll close. Thank you to our producer, Haley Keene, who will save us from ourselves. Join us next week as we review what's happened during the week and how it may be impacting you. If you have a question or comment, send an email to podcast at trep.com. And if you have information you're looking for about trep, check it out, trep.com, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening and stay well. All right. 